0: Folks, it's good to see you on the uh, last bank holiday of the, the summer. I've just driven up from Tullymore, where there are about around about 50 members of Kirkpatrick uh, camping down there, and I'm sure a lot of people are uh, maybe away doing other things uh, on this, as I say, last bank holiday. So it, it's great to to be here with you. Um, we're finishing this series that's run actually for 10 weeks on the book of Proverbs, and when we read that passage, I'm sure at least some of you, if you were awake, were intrigued, thought, hmm, what's he going to say about this? Um, is he mad? Um, to, um, I, I am mad. I, I'm not trying to dispute that, but I'm not mad enough to, to make a big deal of what a, a wife should be like. That's not what we're going to talk about today. Um, What I want to show you is that this passage works in a different way than a checklist for a prospective wife that a guy should have putting ticks beside while he's dating, or as something that wives in the congregation should be aspiring to in every last detail and beating themselves up if they're not hitting the high notes. That's, that's not what we're going to do today. I want to talk this morning about heroes. Every culture has its heroes, and you can easily tell what they are. Um, in our culture, they're the ones, uh, the, the people who sell the, the magazines. They're the ones who count their Twitter followers in, in millions. Um, there, there are a lot of different kinds of heroes, but some of the, the most prominent ones in our culture are Aren't there are pop stars, our movie stars, our footballers, and other athletes. Uh, one of the more depressing ones is reality TV personalities say for a year or two anyway, after they 've done their turn they, they they become our heroes. I think you can tell a lot about a culture by the heroes it chooses to elevate so I'm going to say it looks to me like our culture is besotted with wealth, with physical beauty, with talent, and with fame. It must be. Look at the heroes we hold before ourselves. So churches have heroes too. Um, I grew up Probably when that transition was beginning to happen in the church in the old days, I would guess a congregation like this had mostly just one hero, the, the minister in the robes up there in the pulpit, making sure that what, what he said went and that his fingerprints were over most things that were happening in the church, very much... The, the minister as hero. And a lot of members of a church would have had a, a respect for their minister, some of which I'm sure was healthy, but, but actually I wonder in the end if it was a right relationship with our leaders at every turn. So, so ministers were heroes in the church. And then overseas missionaries. I grew up as a, a wee boy going to, to missionary meetings, hearing about missionaries, I don't know if they do them as much anymore, but there used to be a world map where there was a bit of red wool that started, you know, here in Northern Ireland. So you, you put the, the pin in there with the red wool and then it went to whatever exotic mission location our missionaries were in. So there's red wool here and here and here. And, and that map was on the wall and these people were recognized and prayed for. And in a sense... With the ministers and the missionaries, the church had its heroes, the people who we looked up to and, and emulated. They did God's work for the most part, and the rest of us watched from a distance and prayed and supported them. I don't know about you, but I, over the years, I've got a bit fed up with all of that, with the culture's heroes, with the church's heroes. Less impressed with the culture's heroes. Less impressed with the church's heroes. I feel a bit like Tina Turner. I don't, I don't often feel like Tina Turner, I must <laughs> tell you. 1988, I don't need another hero. You know, if I need a hero at all, then I need a new kind of hero. Somebody who looking to them and emulating them won't be an exercise in escapism but an exercise in in reality where aspiring to be like them would take me into a healthier more God-honoring life. Someone to inspire me to be a better husband a better father better neighbor member of my staff team A better everyday guy. The interesting thing this morning is that as we come to the end of the book of Proverbs, that's exactly what Scripture gives us. A new kind of hero. I'm going to come back to that in a few moments, but I want to take a couple of moments. We're coming today, as I say, to the end of this whole series. I want to step back from the whole series for a few minutes, make a couple of observations, and then we'll return to this quest and this new kind of hero. Two observations about this wisdom that we've been learning about the last few weeks. First of all, I want to say that the wisdom isn't just private. It must be public. And second, to say it's not just personal. It must be lived in community. Not private, but public. Not personal, but for the community. If you've been with us for this series over the summer, this Wise Up series, uh, I hope uh, that as you've come, you've thought, you know, this is for me. Whether you've heard a lot of the sermons or just one or two, I hope you've been saying to yourself, I need to become, I want to become wiser. I want more of God's wisdom in my life. And it's possible as you've thought that way, you've imagined that most of the impact that God's Word's going to have on your life is at a private level. You in your your person, or maybe you in your home, but God wants something much more for all of us than that. He, he wants a wisdom in my life and in yours that that 's going to change how how we live in the public spaces. We'll get a real sense of that in the early chapters of the book. Um, the way it's set up there, we talked about this at the start, the first nine chapters are really an invitation to pursue wisdom. And in those early chapters, quite often, there's a father speaking to a son saying, you know, son, pursue God's wisdom. The son's being asked to choose between folly and wisdom. And a few times in those chapters, wisdom is personified. That that, that is, it's talked about in terms like it's a person. Uh, Usually a a female character. Described like like these women who invite people. Wisdom on the one hand and folly on the other. And they invite people, men and women, to walk in their ways. But let me give you a couple of examples. Flick with me. Um, Proverbs chapter 1. We get one of these... Moments where wisdom is personified. Wisdom's a person with a voice who does stuff. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20. Sorry, that's page 635 if you haven't, uh, in those Bibles in the pew, if you haven't uh, got that yet. So we read there Wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. In the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. How long will you simple ones love your simple ways? We could read on, but flick with me instead to Proverbs 8. Just verse 1 there, and we'll read a few verses. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights along the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates leading into the city, at the entrances, she cries aloud, To you, O men, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, gain understanding. Just one thing to notice from those couple of passages, and we could have looked up a few more. Where is wisdom making her invitation. Where is it she's calling out? It's in the public places. The noisy streets, the gateway to the city. She's crying out in the, the, the grounds of City Hall. She's on the stage in the waterfront. She wants, God wants his people in Belfast to learn to live wisely in the public sphere as well as in private. Folks, I hope this makes sense of some of the themes that we studied in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs does deal with some domestic themes like family and relationships But it also deals with more public themes like our work and how we use our words and our money. Folks, it's not good enough, and it's not what God calls us to, to be having a nice domestic setup. The Lord wants to see us live wisely in our staff rooms and in the office. And on the ward round and wherever else. That's where he wants the wisdom that he offers in his word to have its impact. Not just private, but public. A second thing the wisdom that God offers us in Jesus Christ is not just individual, but it's corporate. We need God's wisdom in community. Again, as I planned this series and as I preached a couple of introductory sermons and as I heard Monty and then Richie and Colin preaching, I did come to this individualistic again. I came thinking, what does this have to say to me? How can I grow in wisdom? It's not a bad question, but it's not the only question. As we finish here today, I want to I want us to hear this together and to say what does Proverbs say to us? How can we grow in wisdom as a church family? If you've been around churches for a while, let me check an idea with you. I think it's entirely possible that a church could have a bunch of wise people in it and still be a shambolic, chaotic community. What do you think? Does that sound possible? Yeah? A few people nodding. Some people have been there. Most of us may have been there. You don't have a gathering like this, this size of this, without some wise people being in it. The question is, are we a wise family? Are we wise collectively? I would love to see that we were growing. That's why That's why we ask you from time to time to pray for our elders because they struggle with the work that they do. I think some of them are really, really wise people but we still need God's help to to bring that together to be a wise family. We need to pray for the leaders in charge of any ministry here. How do we ensure that what we teach our kids and our young people has that wisdom of God in it? And I'm going to ask you this morning, because I think the opportunity invites me to, I'm going to ask you to be wise and careful about how you speak and how you act as a part of this community, whether you're a contributor to, to a growing wellspring of wisdom or, or whether you're undermining the, the wisdom that God would be bringing to us. You see, the truth is that what Ballyhackamore needs more than a bunch of wise, godly people is is a wise and godly community. Actually, lots of them. Lots of wise and beautiful churches. Every city needs more and more churches where, where sinners are safe. Where people can learn to live again because of the wisdom of Jesus rules in the place. I grew up for the most part in that kind of a church, and i 'm really grateful to God for that if you 've known that privilege you 'll know you 'll know how important that is for a community to be healthy and to be wise i 've used a lot during the summer ray ortland 's little commentary on on proverbs. He says that the church, the only biblical strategy for world redemption, is undervalued even by some of God's own people. It requires more than good intentions, even more than biblical doctrine. It requires the wisdom of God embodied in more and more churches so that people can see how wonderful life in Christ really is. Then they join us and they stop dying and they start living even forevermore. That's what's at stake in the quality of our churches. Are you a wise person or or wanting to be? I'm delighted. I'd encourage you to, to do what we've talked about here this last 10 weeks. Grow in the wisdom of God. But help us see God's wisdom embodied here in the community. Bring what wisdom you have. Learn from others who are wise and help us together be the family God calls us to be. When I was reflecting on this, reading Ray Ortland's comments, I was remembering something Dallas Willard taught one time when I was um, hearing him. He was talking about churches, and he said something. It was an image that never will leave me. He said, people should be beating the doors down of your church to get in. Please let us come in. They should be begging. Tell us about the quality of life that you're living. How can we find that quality of life too? It's not really what's happening around Belfast. I don't see queues on Sunday mornings. We aren't needing to sell tickets here just yet. But I think he's right. I think there could be a community so attractive, so full of God's wisdom, that that people find themselves drawn to it. So wisdom's not just personal, it's corporate. Bear that in mind, this term, as we go into our discipleship groups, as we get together with the whole church family when everyone returns. Not just personal, but corporate. We started this morning thinking about heroes by saying that we need a new kind of a hero if you do have Sam, or sorry, Proverbs 31 open before you, we'll come back to that. I've already warned you; I'm not doing the the perfect wife checklist thing. Um, there, there are other people who can teach it that way for you. It's a weird ending to the book, though, isn't it? Well, I think we need to work out what what this ending is and why it's there and how it works before we. Uh, jump in and try and interpret it. So chapter 31, we're told, are the sayings of King Lemuel, and we're told that it's an oracle his mother taught him. So the first 10 verses we didn't deal with. But beginning at verse 10, the NIV labels this, uh, this epilogue a poem about the wife of noble character. As I say, it's hard to know what kind of a literature this is and what we're to make of this ending. One thing's very obvious. It paints a wonderful picture of a wonderful person, a model whom we might want to emulate. Uh, some of those images obviously would need updating. Um, that's an exercise for this afternoon over a cup of coffee. Rewrite Proverbs 31 in 2015 terms. Um, submit them to me next week, and I'll have a bag of sweets for the, the best one. Um <laughs> This person, so the, the images need updated, but don't be tripped up by that. This person is a beautiful person. Faithful, hardworking, resourceful, kind, wise. I could go on. Beautiful person. Did you notice this person is not a religious professional? Not a priest or a prophet. This is a mum doing her stuff going about her daily business. We might say this is an ordinary person. She's described in glowing terms, but, but the actual dynamics of her life are ones that we recognize. She's an ordinary person. This remarkable portrayal in Proverbs 31 is the Bible's fullest description of the life of an ordinary person. You won't find anywhere else in the Bible where it goes into as much detail of what an ordinary life might be like, the kinds of things that we get up to, what the calendar is filled with. And the key, and, and Sam helped us notice this, the key to this woman, verse 30, of course it's the key, it's the key to Proverbs. A woman who fears the Lord, this woman fears the Lord, That's what we've been talking about right through Proverbs. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What we have here in chapter 31 is everything that's gone before personified. Here's what it looks like in a real person. It looks like this woman, this wife of noble character. So fear of the Lord, we're being told here, changes how I am as a wife or a husband as a parent to my children, as a homemaker, as an employee, as an entrepreneur. Fear of the Lord influences how I relate to the... It, it, it influences everything. And it influences the ordinary stuff. It's a lovely ending to the book of Proverbs. This woman, I think, is being presented to us as a, a fulfillment of everything that we've talked about. Here's what it looks like in real life. But it's even better than that. Whenever you read the commentaries on this, what you discover is that some of the scholars look at that poem and they say, oh, that, that looks a whole lot like other poems that people were writing in those days. The heroic poems. So what, what you discover is when you look at the heroic poems, the ways in which you honored Your heroes. Usually a hero was like a, a warrior who had liberated your city in battle or defeated your enemies. Or your hero was a king. So at the end of his reign, you might choose to celebrate that king for his good and wise reign. The way in which you celebrate that warrior or that king, these heroes, is with a poem. They don't have a Twitter feed and they're not on the front cover of OK Magazine. They get a poem. That's how the culture recognized its heroes. That's how you knew who the heroes were, the guys who got the poems. Do you see now why this is a big deal? If this, this proverb, this chunk at the end of Proverbs 31, if this is a heroic poem, then we've got our new kind of hero. God's word at this point doesn't go for the king who's had the great reign doesn't go for the heroic warrior who's liberated the city or the country doesn't go for the prophet or the priest or the minister or the missionary goes for the ordinary the mum I think it could have been a dad as easily. I'm not sure the gender is the big deal in this poem. A person with a job and a spouse and some kids, the ordinary person gets the poem. The ordinary person's the hero. You could look all of ancient literature and you wouldn't find this. This is unique. The Bible's the only place this happened. Where the the mum gets to be the hero. Folks, do you see the implications here? In God's economy, the heroes are the ordinary men and women and boys and girls. Those who fear the Lord and get on with their business. Those who live life in His strength, growing in His wisdom displaying his glory for a watching world. People like us. Potentially. There's no reason that I can see why this poem couldn't be written about you or about me. There's nothing about our birth or our qualifications that disqualifies us. This could be on your tombstone or in mine. We can be heroes in God's story if only we'll do what the book calls us to do. Pursue wisdom. Throw our lives open to Jesus Christ. Folks, this is a a huge area, this invitation and this challenge to live for God's glory across every part of our lives. And because we've recognized just the scale of it and the scope of it, um, we're going to take some time as a church family this autumn to learn more. So we're going to have a Sunday morning series of teaching called Fruitfulness on the Frontline. And then in our discipleship groups, we're going to use a a resource that's going to help us study. And the question, the basic question is this. How can I... how, How can I live for God's glory, the real everyday life that I've been given? The set of privileges and responsibilities that God's given me, how do I live those wisely for his glory? We'll come to that in a couple of weeks' time when we get our autumn program going. That's us done with the book of Proverbs, and I want to wrap it up with one last thought for you. I want to close by reminding you, remembering with you, that this book of Proverbs is a gospel book. It has to be. It's part of the Bible. And how is it a gospel book? Well, think with me again for a second. This book is good news for bad people. It's grace for sinners. It's hope for people who fail. It's wisdom for, for Egypt people like me. The book of Proverbs tells me that I can become wise, that that's the invitation. Jesus Christ offers you and me unique wisdom. Do you remember how Jesus finished his Sermon on the Mount? I think we do this part of the sermon great discredit when we keep it as a kid's story. Do you remember the Wise and Foolish Builders? comes at the end of the sermon. He hasn't been teaching kids. It's not a children's story. But he tells them that little illustrative parable of the, the wise and foolish builders. He's, but listen to what he says. After his teaching, he says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. So people who listen to me, they're like a wise man who built his house on a rock. That's one group of people. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds on sand. Jesus is like, Jesus is so blunt. I hope you get this occasionally in his teaching. Do you know what he says? If you listen to me, you're smart. And if you don't, you're stupid. You're foolish. Now, is that blunt enough? That's that's what he says. That's what the, listen to me, you're smart. If you don't, you're a fool. And folks, that gives you and I something to think about. Jesus Christ, the one who died for us, who gave his life for us, he died to win a a new life. That's a a message we will never tire of preaching here at Kirkpatrick Memorial. But the same Jesus Christ teaches us how to live that new life. Let's let's never tire in learning from him how to live it. Let's not patronize Jesus as the, the nice guy, the one who sacrifices himself for us, the one who saves us, and then turn to anybody else who claims to be an expert and run after them for wisdom for living. No. Jesus Christ is our Savior and our Lord, the one to whom we apprentice ourselves, the one from whom we learn. If we want to live well, we follow him. We live in the power of his spirit. We fear the Lord. Let me pray. Father God, your word has done what it so often does it's been sharper than a two edged sword it it lifts us up to heights that we can't quite imagine and Lord sometimes then the the challenge to, to live at those heights is one that terrifies us Lord we thank you that in your economy we don't need to be Ministers or missionaries. We don't need to be celebrities of any sort. We can be a hundred percent pleasing to you, the apple of your eye, right where we are, right with the life that you've given us. So Lord, help us to, to receive the, the dignity that you'd confer on us. We can be heroes living for your glory. But Lord, help us not to try to do that in our own strength. Lord, just as we rely on you for the the new life of Christ, for our new birth, Lord, we pray that like the, the newborn baby, we'd keep close to you, feeding on you, that we might grow and become more like you. So Lord, help us to do what we've been talking about here all summer, to wise up. To give up our sense of our own cleverness, our own wisdom, and to come hungry and thirsty like beggars to you, praying that you would make us wise and make us new. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.